to the Who You Know podcast where we discuss all things relative to media and entertainment, all designed to support our career growth, especially Black folks. From networking to breaking in the industry to climbing up the ranks, whether you are hella new or industry vet, the podcast is for us. It's for you. My name is Shirley Renee Williams, and I am your host, executive producer and director extraordinaire. And today's guest is Amy Eniobi, and I am so excited. Amy, (laughs) Amy was, I don't like this because it means past tense, and it means that it's wrapped, but... (gasps) Amy was the producer of all the seasons of Insecure. Mm. And while on Insecure, Amy signed an overall deal at HBO. She was previously showrunner, head writer, and executive producer of HBO's Two Dope Queens. And she mm. also just did some, some super dope stuff on Rap-ish. We'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, she has also set up two feature films at Universal and has recently directed a short film, Honeymoon. I'm excited to talk to you about that, too, and, and how you're still working in the short film space. In 2021, she launched her own production company, Super Special, and renewed her overall deal with HBO. Recently, Amy is serving executive producer and co-host of the podcast, The Antidote, which has recently been called by The Guardian as one of the best podcasts of the year. And welcome, Amy. How was that intro? Did we get it right? You sure did. That was nice. That was nice. I was like, okay, that's my resume. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Donkwa wrote it. Shouts out to Donkwa, our phenomenal writer. Yeah. Amy, what have you been up to lately? Wow. Um, the hardest and most often asked question in Hollywood. What have you been up to lately? It's always like loaded because it means I haven't seen what you've been up to lately. <laughs> but it also is the question that I think it's so uh, smart to get used to answering because everybody asks it. Um, yeah, like you said, Shirley, as you already queued me up, I started a production company. We've got development going at HBO and HBO Max, a few projects at both locations that we can't talk about yet. Um, hasn't been announced yet, but very excited about what we have in the works. And then also formalizing, making a second year of the tribe program. Tribe is the writer's program I started during the pandemic to help mentor writers, um, who are in all respects and purposes underrepresented, but working really hard on their own to help them get their start. And through Tribe, uh, my exec, Anj Kanesia, and I have started a short film initiative where we are funding projects from Tribe writers to actually make their shorts. And we actually start shooting the first film from our short film initiative this weekend. So I'm very excited about that, too. Yay, yay! Question, how do y'all get funding? Is Are you guys putting the money in the bank or are there people donating to this fund? Shirley, it's me, me, me. And the reason it's me is because I I don't intend for that to be the way always, but I think a lot of people talk about wanting to change the industry and um, the way you change the industry is by funding people of color. I really think that's the way. Uh, We have ideas, we have stories to tell, we have ways to tell them, we've taken the classes, but we need access. And I know I felt when I was starting my career that the first bit of access I got was by working on the web. Not only did I write for Misadventures of Awkward Black Girl, but I also created web series of my own and shot shorts. And some of those web series helped me get jobs. So that access of making independent content is what got me my start. So I'm always going to believe and support people who are fighting to be indie. Um, So even though when I started the program, I had had the desire to formalize it through some sort of channel. I just realized that sometimes the red tape of it all and having other people decide who gets to be in it and all the things I was like, I'd rather just go. Um, Now, you know, my accountant might say that's not the smartest choice, but I just wanted to do what I could, where I could, how I could. Um, And some of it means that we've been kind of learning along the way, like figuring out the mistakes and realizing like, the pitfalls of spending your own money means that when things go wrong, it's your own money that's at stake. But I just didn't want to wait until I was quote unquote ready. 
um, I wanted to go. I saw great artists in front of me and I wanted their work to get made. So that's why I decided to do it um, in front of myself. But if anyone's listening who has access to actual funding, hit a girl up. I would love that because it, it does kind of feel sometimes in the industry that the people who get funding for programs are the people who are super rich already. And I'm like, come on, help the middle, the middle class. <laughs> yeah. Amy, like, what does the tribe consist of? Is it like, is it people that you've hand selected to be in this? Is it if anybody signs up, they can participate? How does it work? Yeah, the first year were people I hand selected, to be honest, it, it was after the summer of George Floyd, everything that happened in 2020, all of the racial up, up, unrest, and also just like, emotionally on emotional unraveling that we as black creatives went through I was reached out to by a lot of black artists and filmmakers and writers being like I'm the only one in my room or I'm trying to figure out how to make connections or I'm living through zoom and I can't meet anyone and I realized there was just a missing like net for us all to be in and play in the way there used to be pre-pandemic. We were all just zooming into places. It was hard to get started. And what I heard from a lot of people is that they're missing community. So what I did was literally go through the writers who I knew, who I'd been mentoring, kind of ad hoc calls here and there, like emails here and there, and started reaching out to them and saying, would you be interested in trying to be a part of a formalized program if I ran it? Um, I got resounding yeses from almost everyone I asked and after this first year going through it and realizing like I learned so much about how to make the program unique from other programs, how to make it feel like it's actually has a purpose beyond a few panels. Um, that's when uh, my exec and I decided, okay, let's formalize the selection process this time through um, so that we can kind of get a scope of people's levels and like what we're working with to try and pick a class that can all be growing together at a similar pace. Um, and also to be honest, to, have fewer people in the program because it was really, really challenging. I was running a program for 33 writers during the final season of Insecure while I was directing my first episode of television. Um, like it was too much. I, I really uh, did not sleep and was um, unwell. And I was like, why did I do this? But I truly feel like I am put here on this earth to build bridges to future storytellers. And I don't know another way to be except giving back what I have like you know been able to learn and experience and it's hard but I, I just I, I was like I'm gonna be doing it anyway so I might as well build a formal program around it because I'm already doing it so that's the hope and hopefully with time it'll become something that's funded where I can actually like hire teachers and people who are actually part of it to keep it growing beyond me because, you know, maybe I'm in this to be immortal. And if I don't train other people to do this, then everything dies with me. And I like not only want my stories to live on, I want the ways that I function as a creative and a professional um, to live on too. So um, that to me is really important. So that, that's where it started and how it's kind of like evolved over the last year. Oh, I, so everybody that I talk to that the folks who are so successful all understand the importance and power of contribution and make the work that they do on this planet more than self. So I love that you just said all that and everything that you're saying is all about somebody else and bridging the gap for other creatives. So like within Tribe, you said you guys are about to do your first short film. How do you select which film you're gonna fund or is it multiple? films that you fund from your writers yeah what we did was have the writers in the program who were open to it uh submit short film scripts so we asked them you know if you're into it if you have an idea that you think would make a great short submit it and our selection process was really based on what had legs for a uh, greater material um, because we have a deal at hbo the company has a deal at hbo so we we're like is there anything that could become a show that could go to HBO or HBO Max or even HBO International. And then on the B side, is there anything that could become a feature? Um, so we tried not to, uh, we kind of waited towards choosing content that had legs is what I like to call it. Like there are legs beyond the short, um, as opposed to a standalone short that isn't already connected to a writer's greater work. Um, so that was where we came from. And then it was really budget after that. Like, does it, does it have legs? Does it fit our brand as a company? 
do we have the budget to do it? So, you know, some, some of our writers wrote great scripts that took place in seven locations and it's like, can't do it. So, you know, so it's like after a while, like there has to be a cap on what you're spending because it is a short, like shorts don't make money, but there is something super valuable by investing in a writer who will go on to have a great career because they had a short. You know, um, that I always just go back to that's how my voice first got noticed was by making short form content. So um, that's what that was what our main selection was, was the legs for the material. I love that. We, we just were talking with another young lady who was talking about scaling. And I'm, that's what I'm hearing a lot of what you're saying, like as creatives, we should be looking at our work and seeing is this scalable? Can we take it? Because yes, we're creatives, but we're also entrepreneurs and businessmen and women uh, or business folk. So looking at can can this thing morph into something greater than what's currently on paper? Amy, what what exactly is an overall deal? An overall deal is uh, basically you've worked with or want to work with a networker studio that sees a certain value in your voice and they're going to pay you a salary to stay um, and ideate and create projects specifically for them. Most writers, like when you're pitching something, you write a script and you're like, I'm going to pitch it all over town. I'm going to pitch it to Peacock, to FX, to Paramount Plus, to, you know, Hulu, to Amazon, to HBO, to Apple, to Netflix. You're going to pitch it everywhere. Uh, when you have an overall, you're pitching it to one home because they're paying you a salary. Um, to sort of stay loyal, if you will. Um, what I love uh, about, especially like working with HBO is I really like creating shows and I really love um, investing in the, the journey of creation, um, which can take a while. I, I'm really research intensive when I'm starting something. I really want to go deep on like not only just character backstory, but also making sure it's super authentic. So I do a ton of research. I do research trips when I'm coming up with projects. And so having the scope to be able to do that has been really valuable. Um, I think sometimes I've worked in network TV and I really respect so much about it. And I love that the train moves so fast, but sometimes I feel like my brain, at least at the creation level is a little slower than that. <laughs> I kind of have to go really, really deep. Um, and it takes me more time. So I'm like, oh, it's nice to be able to like, okay, I, I can be focused on, now, I won't say one project at a time because I'm working on a few things simultaneously, but I can be really um, intentional with each project I choose. Um, and, and I need that. Like, I don't think every writer does, but that's just how I work. I love it. You know yourself. You know it works for you. <laughs> um, so, Amy, you did undergrad at Stanford, and well, tell me, tell me about that, and then how you got like our. our uh, we find a lot of people, or a lot of people that tune in, are very curious into the how, how somebody got to where they are, what was their journey, what was their process. So if you could take me a little bit back to Stanford, fast forward to where you are now, how did we get here? Yeah, sure. So um, I started, or I took my first screenwriting class spring quarter of my senior year at Stanford. Um, I was not a film major or anything. I was an American studies major. What the fuck is that? I told my parents, um, lots of people who study American studies go to law school. They were like, have you taken the LSAT? I was like, nah. So uh, I had been lying to them. Um, as Yvonne Orji says in her stand-up, uh, as a Nigerian kid, you you become a lawyer, a doctor, an engineer, or a disappointment. So I was like, mm, I'm the disappointment. Um, even though I went to this fancy-ass school, uh-oh. Uh, so I ran away from home, basically. I moved abroad. I lived in France for almost two years. I was a French minor as well. So I was like, I got to get away from the shame of disappointing my family because I didn't go to law school. And uh, lived in France. And while I was in France, I was working like at a little sandwich shop. Like I was working like kind of in the restaurant industry uh, um, at this sandwich shop. But then I also was interning at a production company that did like short films and commercials. Um, and because they needed some English speakers because they're starting to do work in the UK. So that was a really valuable experience. And I learned a lot about development. And while I was there, the screenplay that I had started at Stanford, like um, the class I took, we wrote like the first act of a feature. Um, and so while I was in France, I finished it. 
And all of my coworkers at the sandwich shop, like I'd finish my shift at the sandwich shop and I'd go upstairs and open up my old like Toshiba laptop and be typing away at my script. And all of my coworkers were all like, tu es écrivain, tu es écrivain, which means you're a writer, you're a writer. And I was like, I'm not a writer. I'm an intern who writes. I'm a waitress who writes, you know? Um, so I was very much like, oh, I'm an intern who writes. I'm a waitress who writes. I'm not a writer. But uh, my little French coworkers were very like, was Monet not a painter because he wasn't paid? You are currently writing. You're a writer. And I would say the best thing about that was that aspiring thing. Like lots of people move to L.A. and they're like, I'm an aspiring writer. Um, and they're set, it's usually said with some shyness, some hesitancy, like some uncertainty. I got that out of my system while I was living abroad. And the French people just like made me really, I was like, I'm a writer. And so when I was moving from France, like my visa was expiring. I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do here. Um, And gained a lot of respect for my immigrant parents because it's hard to be an immigrant. Um, And I tried, but I was like, this is too hard. I should just move back to the States. And when I moved to LA, I had already started calling myself a writer. I never did the aspiring phase. So anyone who asked me, I'm like, I'm a writer. People would ask, what do you write for? And I'd be like, oh, myself. (laughs) Got me in trouble at some parties because I was very much like, oh, just mostly, uh, you know, things in my room. But uh, I love The Office. You know, I was like, I love 30 Rock. So all of that kind of helped me get to a place of confidence with knowing my path, but I really didn't know how to pursue it. I was like, uh, I got an assistant job. I was working in reality TV. Reality TV isn't real. It's all fake. And I was just like, I wish I, the stories we make up for reality TV, I wish I could just write them as scripts. I had a friend who told me like, you know, the best thing to do is to go to grad school. And I was like, who's going to pay for that? And he was like, uh, the government. And I was like, oh, that's a good point. So um, I ended up applying to UCLA and that was really what started things. Like I was shooting shorts and stuff while I was in France. I was shooting shorts when I first moved to LA. I was shooting shorts with my roommates and stuff like that. So I really came in loving directing a lot, but knowing like, A, I didn't have the money. Like I didn't own a camera or anything. And I was like, if I'm a good writer, someone will eventually let me direct. (laughs) So um, whereas the opposite wasn't always going to be true. So Um, for me, at least that's how I felt. Um, and I felt like I could financially afford writing more than directing. So I went to film school and did the MFA program at UCLA. Um, and in that program, there was only one other black female writer in that program. And she happened to love comedy too. She became one of my best friends. Her name's Lisa McQuillan. She worked on Grownish, uh, the same length of time that I worked on Insecure. Like we've known each other for years and, and I met her because of that program. And I always say, like, yes, grad school was valuable because I got my 10,000 hours out. You know, I, I went from novice to proficient in grad school. Great. But the number one thing I got out of that program was the first person in my tribe or like one of the first people in my tribe, which was Lisa. Like that, knowing all of the hard, like assistant shit or the early rooms I was in where people were not nice or whatever, I would always be like, if Lisa's still in it, I got to stay in it too. Like having her gave me that first foundation, which, you know, goes back to why starting a program like Tribe was so important to me because I was like, I want to be able to give other people that foundation. When you have your people, this becomes a lot less difficult. It's still difficult, but it's a little less difficult when you got your Tribe. Shout out to Lisa. I love it. Yeah, she a real one. So was Insecure your first like television writing job? Oh, no. Um, So after grad school, I became uh, an assistant. I was a showrunner's assistant on a couple different shows. Um, And the most meaningful one or the one that like, not meaningful to me, but in terms of the one that kind of changed my career was I was an assistant on Happy Endings. And I worked for a showrunner named Jonathan Groff. And um, he's fantastic. And I like learned on happy endings like you can be nice and a comedy writer like the room everyone was nice everyone was super funny people were supportive we had normal hours I was like oh you don't have to be like crying in your car at midnight when you get off work to be a comedy writer oh I can do this you know um and when happy endings um unfortunately was canceled the season um I was there um, was it my fault? We'll never know. But no, it was canceled while I was there. And another show was staffing. The Michael J. Fox show was staffing and they hired three happy endings writers and they needed a staff writer. So that became my first staff writing job. And I think part of it was the the showrunner, Sam Laborn, who's also amazing and also one of the kindest people in Hollywood. Like he 
uh, I think was like trying to form a room of like kind people and a few people who already knew each other to kind of make the dynamic good. So the fact that they hired three happy endings writers kind of worked in my favor as an incoming staff writer. So that was my first show. And then I started um, on an H a little bit of an HBO trajectory. I ended up working on Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley is a show that you know, set in Silicon Valley. That's where I went to college. So like I was watching and I was like, these are my friends. Like I was like, I know these guys. <laughs> so um, felt like kind of a shoe in for that show. I worked on that show for a season. Um, and then from that, I went on to a show that unfortunately didn't make it to air called Brothers in Atlanta. But the creators of that show are amazing in their own right. Diallo Riddle and Bashir Salahuddin, who are, they have like Southside on HBO Max. They have uh, Sherman Showcase on IFC. Like they're super prolific. Um, but I worked with them on a show that didn't go forward. And then, and then I went on Insecure. I did like some punch up rooms and stuff in between. And then I went on Insecure. After season one of Insecure, I did another network show. And then I went back to Insecure and then stayed on for the rest Amy, you're obviously insanely talented, but what do you think it is about you, about your personality, about your spirit that helps you to stay busy working, to keep generating gigs? Wow. No one's ever asked me that before. What is it about me? Um, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I guess my instinct is like, I'm hardworking. I think I'm like, I'm Nigerian. I'm a middle child who could be overlooked if I wasn't loud. Um, I'm the oldest girl, which means sometimes I'm the mom. And I'm a double Virgo, like Virgo sun, Virgo rising, Libra moon. So I'm just like, I'm hard working. And so I do think part of it is that, um, that I I, there was a moment I'd been rejected from a lot of those fellowship programs like ABC program, WB program, Fox program. I had been rejected categorically from all of them when I was leaving grad school and I was really upset. And then when I got my first, like, or like my second assistant job, I was working for a showrunner named Hillary Winston, who's amazing. And I read every script submission that she was considering to staff her show. Her show didn't end up going, but I read everything. And when I was reading the scripts, I noticed that the green writers, like the staff writers or people who had not been staffed before that she was considering, they all like either had come from a program or had a Twitter presence or had gotten out of grad school or had done improv classes or had been published. And I just saw what she required to, to staff someone at the lower level and I think some people would see that and go, okay, I'm going to do one of those. I'm going to try and do one of those. But I was like, oh, I have to do all. Because I'm a black woman. I'm like, I got to do all of them. Because I want to make the people on the other side of the table look stupid saying no to me. I don't want them to have a, re I want every reason that they might say no for me to be like, I did you one better. I did that too. You know, I don't want them to go, oh, she's never been an assistant before. Yes, I have. Oh, she's never been published before. Yes, I have. Oh, she's not on Twitter. Yes, I am. Oh, she doesn't take improv. Yes, I do. Like, I was just like, I'm going to do it all so that you have no reason to say no to me. And once I had done that, I was like, I know it's going to happen. So I sort of had like a little bit of, I guess, confidence at that point, because I was like, there's no, there was a moment I had a writer's group, this amazing group of writers, Lisa was one of them, um, where we were, were all like applying to the fellowships together and reading each other's work. And I remember getting to a moment where I was like, there's nothing else I can do. I was even putting up plays. Like I was like, I'm doing everything, anything that you can do to consider yourself a writer at my level, I'm doing it. And so I was like, there's nothing else I can do. So I know it's going to happen. And then you just got to wait. <laughs> you just got to keep doing the thing. And I think, I'll be honest, I feel like there's this myth outside the industry that you write one good script. And that one good script, ooh, it breaks open every door. And ooh, glass ceiling shattered. And I'm just like, I don't know who that works for, but it's not for black girls from Texas who say upholstery because they learn English in a book. You know, I'm just like, that's not, that's not who it works for. So I was just like, I have to do more. And it is that we're black. We got to work twice as hard for half as much. It's that. But I'm also like, I'm an immigrant. I came from outside the industry. I'm female and I want to write comedy. Like there's just so many, I felt like there was so much stacked up against me that once I figured out what my dream was, I was like, I will work you under the table. Like I'm like, if nothing else, I will work more. I'll work harder than the next person. And that will get me through. That did get me through. I will say, 
you know, I have reached a point in my career where I do realize that hard work is not the only thing. Like I work really hard. I've never not worked hard. Like I've just always, I'm just wired that way. Like again, double Virgo child of immigrants, Nigerian. So I'm like, I'm wired that way, but you also have to be able to work smart. And I'm still, I will say, I think I'm still learning that, like how to have the right conversations with the right people to get your things through the door. Like, I just don't know. I don't know the politicking. (laughs) I just know the work. So I'm like reading all these books, like self-help books. Like, how do you push through? Like, ooh, how do you persuade people? Like, I'm trying to learn the other side of it because the work part, I got that. Like, I know now there was a time where I used to be like, am I a good writer? Like, I know I am now. Like, I know that, you know, I'm, I'm real good at what I do. But now being good is only part of it. The other part is all social politics. You just said so much. And I just said this to someone else. I was like, Kobe talks about all the time. Like he knew he had the talent. He had to like develop skill. Like when he's out there like working, 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 working hard, it's not because he don't have a talent. It's like he got to be able to go out there and compete. And then like, so I heard you say so, so much. Do you think your response to the rejection was, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to learn all these things. I'm going to get everything I need. Therefore, I can remove any excuse as to why you can't say yes to me. Yeah, a hundred percent that. It was a hundred percent that. I thought I would always think I would like be up at night being like, what's the reason that they'll say no? And luckily, because I've been rejected from the programs, I heard the reasons. Oh, you haven't been an assistant before. Oh, yeah. And so a, a really smart friend of mine, Peter Dodd, who's a buyer at, at Warner Brothers, he was also my first feature agent. He started out as an agent. And when I was, I was named like an alternate for the ABC Disney program. And I was devastated. And they tell you right before the holidays, it's super cruel. Because I went home for the holidays. And then I'm like, I'm home and my mom's doing my laundry and looking at me all sad and making me breakfast. And I'm like, I could just stay here. I could just never go back. You know, I was like, this is nice. I'll become a teacher. I'll marry a man from the military. I'll raise 3.5 kids. Texas is nice. You know, but then I remember having a conversation with Peter and he was like, what did the people who got in have that you don't, you didn't have? And I was like, oh, I hadn't, I mean, I just assumed they're really good at, they're better at writing. And he was like, no, 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 you're an alternate. So your writing is good. Talent always rises. Your, Your writing was good. What else did they have that you don't have? And I was like, oh, because I had been sitting there beating myself and being like, I must have written a terrible script. But he was right. I was an alternate. That means I beat out like 800 people. You know, I was like number 11, you know, so I'm just like, oh, he's right. And that's when I got really like anal with it, where I was just like, oh, what do they have? And then I really made like I literally made a list of like, OK, they did this. They did this. I haven't done that. I haven't done that. I haven't done that. And I was like, oh, I'm not as qualified as I thought I was, you know, and it wasn't from a comparative place like jealousy or I was sad I didn't get in, but I wasn't being like, I wish they didn't. You know, I was like, no, I, they deserve it. I was missing things, you know, and once I realized what I was missing, that's when I was like, OK, I got to remove, as you said, the excuses from the table. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. And and I I what I found that works for me and it keeps aiding into my success is when I'm studying what people are the people that are winning, studying what they're doing, whether it be spiritually, whether it be in finance, whether it be relative to this industry, study like we don't need to reinvent the wheel. There's there's not a lot new to figure out, like study what folks are doing and and adapt some of that that winning sauce. Yeah, it's true. What would you say was one of your like favorite projects to work on? Favorite? Pro- I mean, beyond insecure, because I think that might be the obvious answer, but obviously insecure. But I would say beyond insecure would be my short film, Honeymoon. No, you know what? Yes, it is my short from Honeymoon, but I would also say Two Dope Queens. Um, I, I'm torn. So Honeymoon, I'll say, because it's the, I, I had been directing, like I said, my entire childhood. Like I started directing things in middle school and I would, I would like cast my brothers. I'd write scripts for my brothers and um, direct things with them. Like in the summer, I did like film projects in school. So, but Honeymoon was the first time I, felt like a director. It was the first time I was like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm doing it. Like 
I have a shot list. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I'm using the terminology. I'm ta- I'm having conversations about lighting with my DP. Like that was the first time that I really felt in my bones that I was a director, um, that it wasn't just a hobby I was doing. Um, and so that was a turning point in my career. And also being able to, um, I always believe in investing in yourself first. And that was right after I, I started my first deal at HBO. And so I took like a couple months salary and like flew my whole crew and cast to Cancun to shoot this short. And I was like, I did that. I did that, you know? So that was big, but I will say two dope Queens was, is also something I was really proud of because I love live shows. I love theater. I really started in theater. Like the first time I ever got that spark of like, I think I want to work in entertainment was being part of a friend's play in high school. And, um, So getting to work on a live show and be like in the wings, like pitching jokes and working with the Queens, like it was so great. It was also even calling them the Queens. It was the first day of uh, pre-production. The crew, it's, you know, crew is a lot of straight white men, you know? And the guys are like, when the girls come on stage, when the girls come on stage, and I was like, "Uh uh-uh, they're not girls. And they were like, oh, when the women come on stage, I was like, that feels weird. I'm like the females come on stage. I was like that. And I was like, we will refer to them as the Queens. <laughs> and it was literally the rest of the time I was like, eyes on the Queens when the Queens come on stage. Okay. Queen from Queen from stage left. And I was like that small thing. Like I was like a woman was here and made a decision and it got executed. I was just like, that felt, it was the first time I was like a showrunner and it felt really validating. I was like, I'm made to, like, I was like, I'm made to do this. <laughs> it was so much fun. And it wasn't just that, like, that was just a small Thing that was really funny that happened but it, it's the first time just like how doing my short I was like I'm a director when I did that I was like oh I'm a showrunner like I just was like this is what I'm meant to do this is the thing I'm very good at and I enjoy <laughs> I love the queens I, I just it. loved it <laughs> no 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 the queens the queens are coming stage left I love that mm-hmm. I love that <laughs> Amy, were you aware? I remember when Insecure rapped, I cried because I was like, do, do they know what they just did for the culture, like the history that was made? Are you are you aware? So here's what's crazy. And I'm saying this and I'm going to validate it in a way that hopefully doesn't sound cocky, but I'm going to say yes. Yes, we're aware. And I'll tell you why because of social media. So during that last week of shooting, like when we were shooting last June, we were posting like last time we'll be on this set, last shot of this, whatever. We were posting it for ourselves, right? Like we were involved, we're posting our life just like everyone else posts their life. But then seeing how these tweets would go viral and then they're in the news and then like they're being talked about in other people's like media and and I w- I remember having multiple conversations with Denise Davis and Laura Kittrell, who are two of the producers who we split uh, covering set. And we had conversation. We're like, I'm like, did did Martin know? Like, did did Fresh Prince know? Did Living Single know? They didn't have social media. So it, in that time, it was like seeing other people responding to our personal journeys. It was this like, oh, fuck. Oh, oh, this is a big deal. And then like being like, oh, they're, they're going to talk about this for a while. And then the other thing that helped was they were making a documentary. And I was like, why are they making a documentary? Like, who wants to see this? And then I was like, oh, people want to see th- Oh, I see. So by the time we wrap around, like at the time I didn't know, but by the time we wrap around to December and the show is ending, by then I was like, I am aware that this is a cultural moment. And I will say I'm so grateful to have had the feeling of that awareness, because I know also what it is to struggle artistically in the dark and for people to never see your work and to know you've created something that you believe in that other people don't see. Most artists don't get to be aware. And so that is really special that we got to have that feeling. And it's also a lot of pressure because you're like, oh, what's the next thing going to be? But it also is really special to get that feeling. And Shout out to HBO marketing because they were also aware and did a really good job, like capitalizing on those moments and believing in the documentary and all that stuff. Because like, yeah, there, there are many, a black, many, a great black show has gone away with a whisper. And I will say I had friends who were literally like, we are sick of hearing about your show. (laughs) I was like, I get it. Yeah. There's too much out there. I get it. (laughs) So not me. 
<laughs> Bless you, child. <laughs> Did your phone start banging off the hook? I mean, yes. Yes, but not like for real, for real. Like, it's just my friends and they already know. Like, you know, we, we've been through it. The group chat was lit. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about the podcast. Yes. Yes. The antidote. What is the antidote? What makes it the antidote? And why did the Guardian name it one of the best podcasts of the year? Well, I'll tell you why, because it's good. Um, I, I'm sounding like on this podcast, like I have a healthy bit of ego. I promise you, I suffer from anxiety and uh, crippling insecurity. So um, I will leave this podcast and then be like, why did I say all that? I've sweat through my shirt already. But point is, it is a good podcast. Um, I co-created it with my really good friend, Grace Edwards. I was pausing because I was going to say work wife. She was my work wife on Insecure. And um, after Insecure, we we just fell in love with each other on the show. And like, really, it was so great to have like a friend in the room with you. And afterwards, we were like, how do we find a way to work together again? And, um, you know, the world is on fire. And things were really fucked last year. And we had a lot of conversations and we were like, gosh, there are so many times that we'd be talking and I, and she would be like, you know, I just feel like uh, talking to you is an antidote. And I would say the same thing of her or I'd go and do something and I'd be like, this felt like kind of like the antidote I needed after this terrible week. And then Grace was like, should that, is that a thing? Like us having antidotes, is that a thing? And we thought about, oh, is it a show? Is it a book? Like, what is it? And then we realized like what we missed from working together on Insecure was talking to each other every week. So we were like, oh, it's a podcast. So we can talk to each other every week because now she's off doing all these amazing, glory, glorious things. Like she has the Jody spinoff coming up. She's working on Michelle Buteau's new show for Netflix. She has a pilot. Like I'm like, she's, we're both just like separate work-wise. And this is something that gets to keep bringing us together. And the kind of premise for the show is like the world is a dumpster fire. So we're here to be your antidote to like talk about the bummer news of the week and then talk about what we did to self-soothe, self-care, self-heal. What are some of the things that you do to take care of self in a world that feels like it's on fire? Yeah. I mean, one of the easy ones I did last week, I think this was my antidote last week was champagne for no reason. Like don't save it to celebrate. Just open it on a Tuesday. Go off. You know. Did you do it in the morning? Of course I did. I did it on a yes. Saturday morning. And I was just hey. like, I'm celebrating me. I'm here. I'm here. We made it this far. Let's let's toast to that. Um, I also love a good candle moment. Um, I also really love uh, uh, arranging flowers. I have an amazing florist. Uh, she's on Instagram at Plum Dahlia, the Plum Dahlia. And she delivers flowers to my doorstep every other week, just like a mixed assortment. And I arrange them myself. And um, I always turn on some good music, like, you know, Jasmine Sullivan, and then just get to tripping and snipping in, <laughs> trimming and snipping and putting them in a pot. Um, that's like a uh, other every other week ritual. I also really love stand up as an antidote. I watch Ali Wong stand up special on Netflix one week as an antidote. It's so good. Don Wong. It's so good. So, yeah, we have to find our little things. And I'll say what's great about the podcast and what Grace and I have even talked about is that oh, because of the podcast, it makes us find antidotes. Like we're like, oh, we are, we are required to find a way to take care of ourselves this week. <laughs> it's like homework. It's like, oh, I got to get my antidote. You know, it's like, but then you're, you feel better. You get to talk about it on the podcast with your best friend, but then you also get to enjoy it. So that has been great. Oh, we also have guests on the podcast. Every week we have a different guest to talk about their antidotes. So We've had Tracy Ellis Ross, Nicole Byer, Yasser Lester, Alana Glazer, Aya Cash, like really great people. Alok, Tunde from uh, uh, Peloton, like really great guests on too to talk about and share their antidotes and get to know them. Amy, you be doing the most. How many hours you got in a day? Because you don't got the same 24 as other we people. We all got the same as Beyonce. We all got the same as Beyonce. The thing is, Beyonce's hours are cut different because I'm pretty sure she has help. Because <laughs> I'm like, how you got them kids and you got time to be on British Vogue? Like, come on. And put out a secret song. Like, come on. Uh, but yeah, but I, I, I think in a weird way, A, I'm a multitasker by nature. I'll say that. Like, um, since birth. Like, I'm never doing one thing at the same time. One thing at the same time? That's not a phrase. I'm never doing one thing at a time. <laughs> 
but part because you, you always do 10 things at the same time yeah and that's just kind of how I am like I I like to be a little bit overstimulated I think it makes me focus more um but I do think that I in the pandemic have sort of gone inward a little bit like really like taking care of myself I'm not out in the streets as much um you know I'm not doing as much so being able to like rejuvenate on the work front and find the things that I'm really passionate about and devote time to those has actually been really rewarding um because I loved being on Insecure and I'll miss it forever it was like such a great job and yet the grind of being in production day in and day out it's really exhausting and it wears on you and you don't have time to cultivate new things. So it has been kind of cool to spend some time being like, oh, what are the what are the side projects that can now become main projects? What are the things that I thought were pipe dreams that are now becoming realized dreams? You know, um, that has been really rewarding. OK, looking at your day, how much is dedicated percent wise? How much is dedicated to like self-care? How much is dedicated to like work? The day looking at, I would like to look at a week, <laughs> but looking at a day, how much is dedicated self-care, self-care, not much. Um, cause I mean, I, I try and work out in the mornings, but to me, that's not self-care. That's necessity. Um, I'm over the age of 35. Uh, these pounds are pounding. So I'm like, you gotta work out. I hate it so much. Uh, trying to find joy in it. I really love my trainer, but it's really, really hard. But in a week I, I tend to really try and stop working. Like if I don't have business, like business drinks or whatever, you know, if I'm not going out for a business dinner, I try and stop working around seven. I'm like, okay, let's, let's get off the, the zoom, you know? Um, and then self-care wise, I watch a lot of stuff for work, um, which is cool. Like I, you know, in some ways your hobby has to become your job when you work in entertainment, which can be tough, but I try and watch some stuff that's just for me, like stuff that serves no purpose, like selling sunset. You know, I'm like, this serves no purpose. <laughs> <laughs> in terms of cultivating my career, but damn, those houses are pretty and I want to stare at them for 30 minutes tonight, you know? So I, I try and do things that are non-work related to like find some little bits of joy. That's good. I love that. A little earlier, you said, you mentioned like the pressure, you know, coming off such a big, iconic, historical show right? Like, how do you, how do you manage that, that pressure? And is that pressure self-imposed or, you know, is that stuff that you receive from society and have a hard time managing? Yeah. Great question. Uh, have you been talking to my therapist? Um, my therapist says that it's self-imposed, but I don't know if it is like, I, I, I have to be honest. I don't know if I agree with her. I think that the industry wants you to keep moving in a certain direction. And like, and like, you know, that question that you asked to even start this interview, like, what have you been up to lately? Like it's, it's loaded. It's a loaded question. So like, it's, is it, is the pressure self-imposed probably more than not. And yet um, I think it's also like Issa has spoken about this too. Like you kind of have a window you have a window to do the things. The average TV writer's career, if I'm not mistaken, the WGA said is 11 years. You know, like, uh, that's not long. <laughs> that's not long. So I'm like, I got a window. Um, and I I think where the pressure is self-imposed is that I, I get very, like, anxious about making sure that I'm doing the right thing. And sometimes I miss... I miss when I was like a staff writer and you hit hiatus and you're like, hmm, what do I want to write next? Like that feeling of just like, it could be anything at all because it's up to me. Like I sort of miss that because now I'm just like, gotta write because if you don't write, you'll lose your house. You know, it's just like, it's <laughs> it's like you won't have a college fund for your nephew. Like it's just the pressure has mounted because the stakes are higher because you need more things and because you gotta provide for more people. So um yeah, like, but I do find, like, I always try and keep a project that's just for me. Like I said, I love to multitask, but I always have something that's, like, just mine, that it's, like, there's no clock on this. Nobody's asking for it but me. Like, I just want it for me. Um, 
it's that part of me that wants to stay indie that started indie and knows that I'll I'll finish this shit indie you know like I started making my own independent stuff so there's always going to be part of me that's like over here you get to play even if in this lane you got to be running 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 over here you get to play so I try and work on those projects every now and then too so what's some dreams and aspirations you have for what's next Mm. Um, I'm going to go real big. I want to change this industry by filling it with compassionate creatives of color. And by that, I mean, I think passion, people have passion in spades. People are very passionate about what they do, but I want compassionate people, people who care about the people as much as the work, artists who are kind and productive and prolific. Um, that's why I started Tribe. It's not just Yes, I like to give back, but I want to be in meetings where I'm sitting across from people who care that they're sitting across from another person, you know, and and are going to be intentional. I've been really blessed to be in a home like at HBO where the execs are so good and the notes are so are good. Like, you know, you always hear about network notes, ah, but I'm like, HBO gives good notes. My execs are good people. They know how hard it is for me to create and for anyone to create, not just me, but like for anyone to create and they have intention behind what they do. And that's what I want to see everywhere. And I want to invest in writers who want that too and who are going to create that industry. Um, so my big lofty goals are literally to uh, train more writers to be a version of sensitive ass me. <laughs> I'm mad sensitive. Um, and I don't have superficial bones in my body. And I think there's this myth that you have to be mean and cutthroat and whatever, like lop people off at the knees to get ahead. And I'm like, I don't think you do. So I want to invest in people who care about people and their work. Um, and when we do that, maybe this industry won't feel so like grinding. Um, yeah. So those are the big lofty goals with the company. Um, you know, the company I started is super special. Um, the name comes because for me, it's the opposite of superficial. It's being your most authentic self, showing up fully as you. Um, what's the thing that makes you special? Put that on the page, bring that to the room, talk about it in a meeting, let's go. Um, so that's where it comes from. And that's why I'm invested in Tribe, not to bring it back around. This is not a commercial Tribe, but like in general, that's why I'm invested in having a program that helps to fund, support, and be in communion with compassionate creatives of color. I felt like I was just laid on soft pillows to dream and imagine an industry full of love, joy, compassion, kindness. Yes, yes, that's what I, I know that I have been called to bring love in such a radical way into this industry. So you saying that, like my heart is just, just vibrating. Um, Amy, if you could, if you could give people who are trying to transition into what you're doing or break into this space, like three, three tips, three things of advice, what would you say? First, I'd say do it before you're ready, because by the time you're ready, someone else will have already done it. And by that, I mean, if there's like something you're trying to direct, something you're trying to write, go do it. Do it and fail. It's okay if you fail. You only will get better by failing. Failure is part of success. You have to fail to get to success. Nobody gets there with no failure. So do it and fail. Do it before you're ready and let it hurt you and then learn. Um, number two, I would say network across. Um, lots of people spend, waste a lot of time being like, hey, how do I get Steven Spielberg's number? Like, how do I talk to, you know, the Ted Sarandos? It's like, he ain't got time for you. And he also has so many mouths to feed. It is all of my best opportunities in this industry have come from people sitting next to me at the table, not at another table. So network across and go into relationships, not asking what can they give me, but what can I give them? What can I provide? Because I am a fountain. I am a wealth. Like there's nothing that I give that I can't get back tomorrow because all my best ideas keep flowing. So if you operate from a place of abundance, networking across is not scary. You're not giving anything away. You're spreading the wealth. Um, and part three, I, let me think of a third thing. I guess I, I my third thing would be, um, hmm, hmm, do I have a third thing? 
I don't know if I have a third thing. I don't know. What about be kind? All your compassion talk, be, be kind, be good to people. I want to say that is my third thing, but I would say some people just aren't, you know? And I'm like, ah, I know I'm not supposed to be like, I, I think there's a, you know, some people say people are inherently good or people are inherently bad. Like, I don't think it's that, but I'm just like, kindness is a muscle and you can continue to exercise that muscle. But if you fake it, it shows. And I've met lots of people who act real nice, but are not nice people, you know? And so I'm like, ah, I'm like, don't fake it. Be who you are, I guess. But I would say if I could for my number three, I think it would be save your money because everyone's like, once you get staffed, you make all this money, but you get staffed and then your show gets canceled. Boom, money gone. You also have to pay your manager or your agent and, or your lawyer and you know, money gone. So I know because, again, child of immigrants, I'm frugal as fuck. My parents are always calling and being like, are you good on money? And I'm like, if I wasn't, could you help me? You know, I'm just like, what are you, what are you talking about? Like, I'm just like, but I am because I trained well with them. And when I was a staff writer, yeah, I didn't go out to every single drinks. I wasn't putting it all on the credit card. And I had friends who were. Um, and sometimes you get a sense of FOMO. But I'll say, I always know I got mine. So as a result, there are going to be times that you are out of work. There can be times that there are strikes, like a writer's guild goes on strike. You can't work. Like if you are not good with your money, those those times will hurt less. And you'll again be in that space of scarcity that doesn't let creativity flow. Um, so if you can get into a habit of saving your money, um, talk to an accountant, figure out a budget, put aside money for yourself, pay yourself first. That way you can continuously invest in your art even when other people don't. I love it. Amy, you are perfect. The, my, ah! the, the team that they're like slacking they're like this is amazing she preaching oh, like <laughs> oh hell amy oh my gosh y'all are so sweet thank you thank you yes uh, I, I love to talk <laughs> i thank you for your time is there like a link i can donate to the film fund oh my god i love you for saying that we are in the process of uh, setting up a fiscal sponsorship. So at this point, no, I don't want people to just be sending me stuff on Venmo. I'm like, let me get it set up. Um, I want to do it the right way, you know? Um, so hopefully we will have that available in time. We're in the process of setting that up, but thank you so much for even suggesting that. Like it, it'll, it'll be so meaningful. Um, Cause I know we plan to shoot two shorts of a year minimum. You know, we want to do at least two. Um, but if it has to be funded by me, it's not going to be a sustainable program. So, um, cause eventually the money will run out. <laughs> so I'm like, I want to get outside funding so we can keep it going. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Well, you have my commitment to donate whenever the, whenever the link is ready and the fiscal Thank sponsor you. is set up. Thank you, yeah. Shirley. Thank you so much. Thank you, Amy, for your time. You are amazing. I just love talking to you every time I get a chance to. Oh, bless you. Thank you. Thank you. And you're a great interviewer too. You asked really, you asked me some questions I'd never gotten before. So thank you. Good. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> good, good, good. All right, Amy, have a good night. You too. Bye. All right. Bye-bye.